Would you please turn to Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's... That's always a dangerous question, isn't it? You know, somebody comes to you and says, if I ask you, or if I tell you something, will you promise not to tell me? The answer is always no, right? So, you know, I mean, we want you to do whatever we ask. What? And Jesus asks, returns with the obvious question. So, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We want positions of significance. We want to be close to Jesus. We want to be right in the center of the action, you know, around Jesus where things happen. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? In other words, can you Live like I live. Can you do what I'm doing? We can, they answered. That was a very bold reply. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're speaking today on what I've called God's high call, which I put up there if I could get this thing to work, but anyway. It's just simple, really. Here we go. Uh, God, what is God's high call on our lives? Well, it's very simple. I mean, everybody likes to think they're called to something significant. And we talk quite a lot about God's call. But here, in this interaction between Jesus and his disciples, he wants to say, but the highest call of all is not quite what you think. And... You know, there are many of us who want to accomplish things for God. 
We dream of certain projects or, you know, certain things, an impact that we'd like to have. We'd like to see our prayers answered for healing. We'd like to see people touched with the power of God. We'd like to be engaged in his service in one way or another. And none of those aspirations are wrong, but maybe miss the highest call of all, Jesus said, which is to be a servant. Now, here is the, the sort of the challenge of being part of God's kingdom. Jesus comes to this earth, says, the kingdom's here. I'm inviting you to be part of my kingdom, which is going to grow and fill the earth. How does it do it? Well, through servant people who will take the low and humble place and who will demonstrate the love and nature of Jesus wherever they are, which is about being servants. The kingdom is not quite what we think. James and John have got a sort of vision of being right in the center of the action of God where Jesus is. They want to be right by his throne, places of prominence, etc., etc. Some of us might have similar dreams. Jesus said, well, if you want to become greatest of all, you're going to become a servant first because that's what I'm doing here. I didn't come to be served, even though I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I came to serve. And so it's all about servanthood. It's all about servanthood. Now, this does not come naturally to a good many of us. There are a handful of people here who are natural servants. You watch them. Uh, Can't see where he's gone. Where has he gone? Eddie. Edridge, where are you? There you are. From time to time, I drive along uh, the road here uh, in order to come here and do stuff with other people. I see Eddie weeding the, the flower beds out here and just serving away. Now, none of us like a scruffy building. Everybody wants the place to look spick and span and to be something for the glory of God. Here's a man who makes it happen by being a servant. We honor you, Eddie. And there are others here who are exactly the same. There are some natural servants, but most of us are slower to get the brush out. Most of us are slower to roll our sleeves up. Uh, Most of us hope that somebody else will do the serving bit. Why isn't this done? Why isn't that done? The normal answer is because you saw it, but you didn't bother. And servanthood is countercultural for a good many of us. I I think many of us recognize that there is a counterculture sort of thing going on in the whole issue of servanthood. So we recognize the example of some people like Mother Teresa. 
You can't miss that example of servanthood. She basically changed the way lots of Christians go about and went about sharing their faith in the nation of India. Nelson Mandela, when he finally took power in South Africa, and he surely is one of the most fascinating figures, stood in front of the people and said, I am not here to rule you, I'm here as your servant. Uh, It's a very powerful thing. Uh, I don't know... Pope Francis seems to me to be a fascinating figure too. The fact that he will go and kiss people's feet and, you know, and, and he's not living in the papal house. You know that, don't you? He's living in some small apartment somewhere. To, I mean, you know, and sort of saying, I'm basically an ordinary bod. I don't want all this, this grandeur and I want to live as a servant. We recognize that there is something very attractive about this. And there's something quite powerful about people who don't look out for number one. Because many people in this world are looking out for number one. But the people who aren't looking out are basically saying, I want to help you reach your full potential. Others are always more important. There's something in this world that says you should never be a doormat for other people. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, actually, my kingdom advances by people who are prepared to be doormats. And actually, the kingdom of God is advancing in this nation through lots of ministries which are, you know, about serving other people, street pastors, flourishing everywhere, up and down this nation, as, you know, people help young people who are in trouble with alcohol on the streets, getting themselves into difficulty, and street pastor out there caring for them, giving them flip-flops, giving them bottles of water, helping them to get in taxis, get home again. This is a wonderful demonstration of servant Christianity, and that sense of the kingdom of God touching people's lives is very, very powerful indeed. Um, ministries like Beesom, which are involved in uh, feeding people food parcels, you know, helping to equip people's homes when people have got into trouble. Uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, which is about helping people out of uh, situations of indebtedness that they've got into. These are all servant ministries through which the kingdom is advancing today. It's very powerful and it's very counter-cultural. And in a sense, we say, if nobody will take responsibility, we must take responsibility. If the floor needs brushing out there, we'll get a brush. Where are the brushes? And we'll get out and we'll brush it. And if the tables need wiping, where are the cloths? How do we, how do, we do that? So we're prepared to take responsibility. And that's not the spirit of this age, which says, why hasn't somebody done something about this? And we've got to recognize that the kingdom is countercultural. It is anyway. It's all about crazy forgiveness. How often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? That sounds very generous, doesn't it? Peter's really got this stuff, you know, about the kingdom. Up to seven times. And Jesus says, you haven't understood the kingdom. Up to 70 times seven. You know, four, I don't think he's saying up to 490. Saying, Until you lose count. That's the kingdom. It's about crazy forgiveness. It's, and, it's, and it's about seeking the lost. 
not the impressive celebrity type people who've got life together, but it's about seeking lost people. That's what the kingdom's for. The kingdom is all about counter, is a totally different culture. And Jesus came to bring a kingdom in which would fill the earth, but would fill the earth through values that are totally different from this world and what people live by. And servanthood is one of those things. Uh, what I decided to do this morning was put in various sort of quotes from different people, uh, greats of Christians who, uh, I mean, have all talked about this thing of servanthood. Here's, here's one from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist at the end of the 19th century. He says, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. Many of us are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. What I want to do this morning is to point you to three scriptures, if I can. We've started off with this one, uh, words of Jesus, when he's saying to his disciples, whoever would be great amongst you must be my servant. Anybody here raised on salty tapes or veggie tales? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, anybody remember that song? He must be the servant of all. Anyway, I, some people were raised on these, these great tapes. Uh, we, we listened to them endlessly in our car. First the salty tapes, then veggie tales. I was very grateful when salty went out and veggie tales came in. Who likes veggie tales? Is there any veggie tale? Oh, yeah, yeah, aficionados. Yeah, 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 great stuff. Well, uh, and great, and um, veggie tales, is, if you don't know about veggie tales, you need to get somebody to introduce you. It's fabulous stuff. It was, oh, I won't go into veggie sales. Anyway, it's fabulous stuff. It's really great. And it's not just for kids. We have had many sort of family gatherings in our, in our family with, you know, little kids, teenagers, 20, 30, 50 year olds, and all having a whale of a time watching VeggieTales DVDs. If you don't know them, you've missed a treat. Okay. And I'm not an agent for VeggieTales. Okay. <laughs> VeggieTales were first, were first made by a guy who was working for Middle Eastern Ministries, what is it called, Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern Ministries or something, um, uh, as, a, as a tool to try and get the gospel into a format that people could understand. And uh, uh, <laughs> really this is really interesting. It was such... It was such a great idea and actually spread amongst Muslim peoples especially, very, very powerful in, powerfully in the Middle East. But in the end, they realized that if they sold the rights to a publishing company, they'd probably get millions more to finance this ministry amongst Muslim people. So that's exactly what they did. Did you know that? Well, I'd like to give you interesting little tidbits here and there. Okay, Isaiah 42. Um, I'm going to, I am going to take you in the scriptures unashamedly because I'm asking God to touch our hearts through his word. Okay, Isaiah 42. Here is my servant. This is a prophecy about Jesus who was going to come in the future and the thing that you would notice about him more than anything else is being prophesied here is that he is God's servant. He's a servant. That's his nature. Here is my servant whom I uphold 
my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he'll bring justice. Who can be trusted with the spirit? Who can be trusted with much money? I have a friend who's a multimillionaire. Um, God has entrusted him with many, many, many resources. And his great delight is to give away as much as possible. And to find things to give away to. I've never asked him for anything. Because I don't want anything to ruin our friendship. Uh, But his great delight, and I often sense that one of the reasons God entrusts him with millions is because he can be trusted to steward them properly. Who can be trusted with the Spirit? Many of us aspire to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, to see powerful ministry of the Spirit work through us. Who can be trusted with that sort of thing? If we're on a pride kick, if we're on a celebrity kick, if we want to be seen to be something, if it's about us, we can't be trusted. If it's about serving others and seeing others released and blessed, we might be entrusted. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. Or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he'll not break. In the smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He won't falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Well this is what I see about the Lord's servant in these few verses. The Lord's servant is the one who delights the heart of God. If you want to delight the heart of God, become a servant. Now, um, some of us have an idea that different people have different gifts and that some people have gifts of service and other people have other gifts and it's just about everybody. The Bible says and Jesus says to his disciples, all of you have to become servants. This isn't a choice. Well, I don't have a gift of service. I'll, I'll do the leading. I'll do the organizing. I'll get everybody else doing it. Well, those are gifts. But Jesus says, I want everyone to have a servant's heart. And actually, in Acts chapter 6, there's a bit of a sort of developmental problem in the early church of some struggles between Jews and Greek widows and who was getting most and how it would work and all the rest of it. And the apostles say, it's it's not right that we should stop serving the word in order to serve tables. Let's appoint some people to serve tables. So they appointed deacons to serve tables while they carried on serving the word. What I want to try and do to, to you this morning is to serve the word to you so you understand it and get challenged by it, and perhaps even have a heart change. Uh, So you say, that's what I want to be like. This is servanthood. We're all to be servants. The servant delights God's heart. If there's anyone 
who God looks down on. Eddie and says, well done. It's the servant. This servant is entrusted with the spirit because he can be trusted because it's not about him, it's about others. This servant is not hard or pushy. How many of you hate being organized by people who are pushy? I do. And I dig my heels in. And part of that is bloody-mindedness on my part, I know. Sorry, I'm, you know... Part of that is stubbornness. Part of it is I don't like this spirit that's trying to organize me and push me around. I don't hear servanthood in that. This servant is not pushy or hard. This servant keeps going. He's faithful. I mean, he's a servant. (laughs) And the job's not done till the job's done. He doesn't give up and say, well, Blow it! Nobody else is doing this. How many people have started a job and then think, I'm the only one left doing this. Where are all the others? <laughs> this isn't fair. Servant doesn't say it isn't fair. Servant says, the job still needs doing. I think I'll do it. Does it matter that no one else sees? No, it doesn't matter that no one else sees. There's somebody else watching. Okay. Here's a quote from Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's not bad, is it? There you go. Actually, I think I put that was John Wesley. It was actually Charles Wesley, but anyway, there we go. It was his brother. He was a good guy, too. Uh, John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Now listen, have you ever been really under pressure with lots of things going through your head? I mean, you know, I mean big things. Maybe, you know, there's trouble in the family. Can you think of anything else? You know, there's trouble at work. This is preoccupying. I confess I have had a situation going on in my life in the last few weeks which has been absolutely preoccupying. And I've been waking up early in the mornings and praying for this and, and, and having imaginary conversations in my head with all sorts of people. Do any of you ever do those things? Okay, now, Jesus is in precisely this situation. He knows he's about to be betrayed, and he knows who by. He knows he's about to go and die on the cross for the sins of the world. That is a pretty major preoccupation. He knows that he's come from God, and that 
God has put all things in his power. That means that all of God's plans and purposes depend upon Jesus. He's got a few things on his mind. Like the destiny of the world, the destiny of nations, the destiny of millions. He's got a few things on his mind. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. All of these big things on his mind, but he sees 24 dirty, smelly feet and 12 proud hearts. Nobody else in this room was seeing what Jesus was seeing. The two wrapped up with themselves, their own status, their own dignity, whether Jesus likes them, whether they've got a place in his kingdom. Jesus has the destiny of the world on his shoulders, in his head, in his heart. Yet he gets down. washes his disciples' feet. And later on in the story, Jesus says that this was not accidental. This was deliberate. I wanted to show you something. That this sort of service is a lifestyle for God's people. We're often so wrapped up in ourselves and our plans and our projects and our life and our aspirations that we don't see. What in our neighbor needs ministering to, needs caring for, needs serving? Foot washing needs to become a lifestyle for these. I mean, I've been in some meetings where they've decided to, you know, wash one another's feet. I hate it. Uh, anybody fiddling with my feet? Anyway, uh, we won't go there. We won't go there. You know, as though, as though it was about that. It's not about that. It's not about some ritual that you go through. It's about just seeing what's really going on. And what I can do to help you, my neighbor, in your, what would be a blessing? And servants are looking for ways to bless others, to alleviate others' challenges, trials, lifestyle. For a good many of us, we're so preoccupied with ourselves that we don't have time to think about others. Jesus says, that's what I want to change. The servant sees the need, and he does it. That's what a servant is. The servant shows that 
God gets down to help people. Please notice what that, I used the phrase deliberately there. God gets down to help people. You have to get down. You have to get down. This means that God has to deal with the pride in our hearts. After about, I'd been in pastoral ministry about three or four years when a certain event happened in my own life. Now, let me go back. I want to tell another story before I tell my story. I had a pastor in the city of Liverpool where I grew up who was a man of the people. In the area of Toxteth where I grew up, he was known in every household. It was that sort of community. This was obviously many years ago. This was 40, 50 years ago. Uh... But everybody knew him. He was welcome in every household. I remember when I was, I don't know, about 16 or 17, I bumped into my pastor and I said, so what's happened this week? He said, do you want to know? He always had entertaining stories. He, He actually worked as an undertaker. He was an undertaker's manager and... Uh, he got business both ways. <laughs> from the church for the undertaker and from the undertaker for the church, if you know what I mean. It was, uh, he was, he was, and he always had humorous stories to tell surrounding death and bodies and corpses and all this sort of thing. I mean, it was always, you know, he could always see the funny side of every, every situation, even if it was poignant as well. And, and he said, oh, do you want to know what I've been doing this week? I've been foot washing. I said, he said, you want to be a pastor, don't you? He had sown in me that I wanted to be a pastor. He knew I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be like this man, who was a servant in all of these households and all of this community in Liverpool. And he said, let me tell you what I've been. I've been visiting for the last few months a man uh, in his, he said, I don't know. He's one of those ageless people, 60 or 70, somewhere around there. I don't know. He said, but somebody asked me to go and see him, so I went to see him. He said, terrible pong in this house. And my pastor was sort of man who would challenge, ask awkward questions. He, I mean, he couldn't be polite. Um, he wasn't rude, but he couldn't, just, he couldn't play games. And so after a few visits, he goes in, he says to this guy, he said, you know, he said, I can't help but notice that every time I come to see you, there is a smell. And he said, I'm sure we could get rid of this smell. And the guy went very quiet. Very quiet. And he said, I'm too embarrassed to talk about it. My pastor said, to talk about what? He said, it's my feet. He said, actually, I have been so ill the last few years that I have not had my shoes or socks off. It was something like for eight years. 
And so my pastor said, well, I'm here to help you. He went into the back kitchen and got a bowl of water, took this man's shoes off. His socks were stuck to his feet, encrusted over years. My pastor found a pair of scissors and cut off, soaked his feet and then cut the socks off. And and, uh, anyway, bit by bit, managed to get the socks off, washed his feet. Well, of course, his feet were a mess, an absolute mess. And, And then subsequently, my pastor arranged for other people to go in and dress this man's feet, but he did the worst bit. And uh, he said to me that day, he said, Steve, actually he called me son. He always called me son. Son, he said, you never know what it's going to be, this pastoring thing. Sometimes you're in the highs and sometimes in the lows. But if you're not prepared to serve, you don't qualify. After I'd been in the pastor about three or four years in a Baptist church, little place 15 miles west of here. The church was going well. To all intents and purposes, and we were hitting a sort of mini revival of the Holy Spirit, and it was, it, they, were, they were exciting days, exciting times. But I had had constant conflict from the first day of my pastor with an older man in the church who used to be the senior deacon in the church. My predecessor managed to throw him off. Um, I mean, if you don't know anything about church wars and church politics, be very grateful. Um, But this situation was one of extreme conflict. And once I became the pastor, he made it his business, first of all, to try and buy influence with me. And then you know, to oppose me at every count. In church family evenings, (laughs) called church meetings, uh, he would stand up and withstand every proposal we ever brought. There were public demonstrations uh, against... I mean, it was demonic. Frankly, it was. Uh, And it was tough. And one day he ended up in hospital. And... As a dutiful pastor, I went to see him and to visit him in pastor. It was the last pastoral visit I wanted to make on the planet, but I went to see him. He was barely conscious. He was sort of sick and sweaty and, I mean, in a mess. But it was clear from the ward that the nurses were, were in all sorts of, you know, other crises and didn't have time. So I was faced with this choice. What do I do? And so I went to the sink in the ward and I got a bowl and I got paper out of the thing and I went over to this man and I started washing his face and his neck and clearing away, you know, puke and debris and and all the rest of it. I remember all sorts of thoughts going through my head. Is this what it means to be a pastor? 
I came to pray for him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is probably one of the biggest lessons you'll have to learn. It's called loving your enemy. It's called being a servant to all. And I'm right here in this room with you. It was that clear and it was that powerful. It was one of those revelation moments. Foot washing needs to become a lifestyle. Not just serving those you like, but serving those with the smelly feet. And those who you wouldn't normally serve. And those who rub you up the wrong way. And those who may be hostile to you. That's servanthood. Helping people you like isn't really servanthood. That's just doing one another a favor. Servanthood goes steps further. And then let me take you, please, to Philippians chapter... Oh, how about Elizabeth Elliot? Have you heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth Elliot, one of the great saints of the last century, uh, lost her husband when they first went as pioneer missionaries to South America. Uh, She mourned his death and then went back again. Uh, An absolutely superb, godly woman. Does God ask us to do what is beneath us? This question will never trouble us again if we consider the Lord of heaven taking a towel and washing feet. See, that's what Elizabeth Elliot did. She went back to the same people who killed her husband to serve them and saw a huge number of them come to Christ. The husband hadn't because the first encounter ended up in his death. (coughs) Philippians chapter 2. Sorry, this isn't very cheerful, is it? Wouldn't you like to be encouraged and helped up and excited and let me tell a few jokes and things? Uh, Not every sort of thing is quite like that, is it? Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. And these are well-known verses. You know, this is an early Christian hymn. This is what Christians in the first century AD used to sing about. And Paul quotes one of their early hymns, because people remember hymns and songs, don't they, better than they remember verses in the Bible. Have you noticed? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I need to tell you, that is a very difficult verse to translate did not hang on to equality with God at all costs, is what it means. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I want to point this out to you, please. When Jesus came down to the earth, he didn't just become a man. Jesus came down, became a man, and went lower still, and became a servant man. Okay, Because sometimes we talk about Jesus becoming man as though he was like one of us. No, he went lower. <laughs> he went lower. He became a servant man. He went lower. So he came down and goes as low as you can possibly go. That's what Jesus became. That's what it means to be a servant. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and Being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So servanthood also means obedience. Ah. Sometimes you hear a little whisper in your ear from the Holy Spirit saying, I think you ought to go and do so and so. And you think, ah, I haven't really got time for that. I've got other things on my mind. And anyway, I didn't have a good time with them last time. And, and we can always rationalize out why we shouldn't do the thing that is being whispered in our ear. Have any of you ever experienced that? Yeah. Because being a servant is being obedient. This really is getting to the root of our will, isn't it? And our self-will and things we don't like. Who has a really hard time doing things they don't like? Okay. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The servant is God's chosen nature. Not just manhood, servanthood. It's God's chosen nature. It doesn't hold on to its old rights and privileges. But but isn't it right that somebody should serve me here? (laughs) Doesn't hold on to its rights and privileges. Takes the lowly place. Doesn't argue or complain. Doesn't argue or complain. (sighs) Well, where are all the others in my team? I thought there were four of us who were supposed to be doing kids' work this morning. (laughs) Did did they not look at the list? And now I've got to cope with 30 kids on my own single-handedly? Do you understand what I'm saying? And the quickest thing we can do is to moan and complain about others. Well, it looks as though I'm going to have to come up with something, Lord, you and me. Here we go. Is prepared to serve another. Here's one from William Tyndale. There's no work better than to please God. To pour water, to wash dishes, to be a cobbler or an apostle, all are one. To wash dishes and to preach are all one, as touching the deed to please God. There you go. So, all right, what does this mean for us? You might have had enough, and I'm just finishing off. All right. What does this mean for us? Number one, it means I'm available. I'm available. I'm putting others before myself, and I'm going to give my time, my energy, and not meet my own needs in order to serve others. What's more, no job is too menial. (laughs) Don't we have a cleaner here? Am I supposed to brush the floor? Well, if the floor needs brushing, yes. Because we're servants. There's no loud amens to this message. I've noticed that as we've been going through. There you go. Secondly, I'm willing. This is a step further on from I'm available. Well, here I am. I suppose I'm going to have to do it. No, no, no. Second step, I'm willing. Okay. It's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. 
You might remember that, some of you. Anyway, anyway, it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. Is my heart a servant's heart? Here we go. I'm in. And I'm going to smile. <laughs> and I'm not going to moan and complain. Because here's an opportunity for my true nature as a child of Jesus to come out as a servant. <laughs> right. Do I look for opportunities to serve others? Or do I only agree when I'm asked? One of these things. Have we got any volunteers? For, you know, 300 people sitting. Have we got any volunteers to... Not a hand goes up. And then maybe three or four servants' hands. You know, the same hands. The same hands. What's wrong with us? We haven't got this Jesus thing. Yet, if we're not into this servanthood thing, because that's the very heart of who he was. I'm willing, if I'm asked. You know, we need to get over that. Is there some way I can help? Let me tell you about a lady who used to be part of this church. She's still part of OCC, uh, but she also used to be my secretary. And Barbara, because that's her name and some of you know her, Barbara always was very clear with me about how I should lead the church when I was leading it. (laughs) One of these people who rang up fairly regularly and told me what was good and what wasn't so good. And sometimes I could hold the phone out here. (laughs) But Barbara was a precious saint of God, is a precious saint of God. She is one of God's absolute stalwarts. She came to me one day and she said, oh, Steve, she said. Stephen, you're right. You're absolutely right, Tess. That was really quick. She, my mother, and Lorraine are the only people who call me Stephen. And it's normally because I'm in trouble. No, no, Lorraine. Lorraine always calls me Stephen. But but when my mother and Barbara did it, it meant something. Stephen, Jez, you were quick there. That was really good. (laughs) Stephen, I need to tell you how much I love being in the crash. Oh, this was a new sound. I began to prick my ears up. Because for most of us who have to do the crash, it's a chore. Am I right or am I right? Oh, well, there's some holy people who are shaking their heads. It's it's a delight. You know, I love being there. Anyway, she said, I need to tell you what it's like doing the crash. I go and I meet the children of families who otherwise I wouldn't meet. She was probably in her, I don't know, late 50s at this time. She said, I meet children of families I don't know, and I get to know the kids of these precious members of our church. He said, I feel like I get to know the family through the children. And then I pray for the babies and their parents week by week after I've been in the crash. He said, and it's wonderful to be able to give myself. Next Sunday morning, I had her in front of the whole church (laughs) and said, now, Barbara, tell us how you feel about, you know, taking your part in the crash. Is it just a right? Oh, no, she said, this is a wonderful privilege to get to know babies of couples in our church. And after, after that meeting, we had a whole list of people who suddenly had got a vision for serving. 
because it was shared with vision and heart. And that's the important thing. Okay, I'm available, I'm willing. Thirdly, I'm faithful in the long term. The initial fun and glory dies, and then I'm stuck with it. Have you noticed? Okay. Fourthly, I'm prepared to be unseen. The audience of one. Who am I really doing it for? Does it matter that they see? Or does it matter that he sees? Uh, What's my next point? I don't know. Oh, I might have to go beyond the finishing time for this task. In other words, there may be sacrifice. We are not jobs worth. If you know what that word means, it means just doing jobs. It's in our hearts. We're not just doing a job. We're not clock watchers. We're not professionals. My stint of serving is four to six, serving teas and coffees, and when six comes, I'm out of it. Max is still left clearing up. (laughs) He's looking down because he's getting embarrassed. Do you see what I mean? Max is still there clearing up, but I'm I'm out of here. No, if it's not finished, it's not finished. And maybe then you start to serve. Sue, have you got anything to say about this? Do you agree with some of this? (laughs) There we go. I don't want to embarrass people. I can say all this precisely because I'm here and not here. We do not necessarily look for compensating time off for the privilege of serving others. It's your good at my expense. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. (laughs) Lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me. That's servanthood. And now at this point, I'm going to hand over to Keith. Keith.